Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash A-H-T-T. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hard to Tell Podcast, episode 115, Dexter Henry, Brian Fonseca here. We are recording from home because of the coronavirus uh, pandemic, so we're both home, keeping it safe, really practicing social distancing. You can hear hear my landline right now going off, so you already know what it is. So we got that going on, but we have a special guest for our first uh, remote podcast that we have, uh, a man I've known for quite some time. Through my news coverage, going back to my News 12 days, even doing some of my stuff with AccuWeather. Uh, great guy, because he's from Brooklyn, of course. It's the Brooklyn Borough <laughs> President, Eric Adams. BP, what's up, man? How you doing? Good to see you, man. You look great. You Thank know? you. And I'm looking at both of your walls. You got butterflies and flowers. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is Latino greatness right here. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> and, then, and I recorded my daughter's room, BP. So th- this is this is all my daughters doing. You brought this up the last time we Skyped. Same thing. <laughs> Nothing's changed. <laughs> Nothing's changed. Uh, h- how are you doing through everything with this coronavirus pandemic? Obviously, it's affected the city in a major way, but Brooklyn in a major way as well, too. How, how are you dealing with everything? No, and, and it's really something that we are having to adjust. And uh, clearly, uh, the life we are going through now, it's only the beginning. Uh, we're in a new phase of how we're going to run cities. And I've been talking to my staff about this um, for a little over a year now. How we run cities is going to uh, drastically change. And this is really the beginning of that conversation. And, you know, as we go on with the talk today, it's things that we need to get on our radar, that uh, the the lives that we knew is about to take a cosmic shift. And if we don't start getting prepared for it, we're going to constantly find ourselves in the midst of a Category 5 hurricane and start to really start adjusting when we have 100 miles hours of winds on our shores. We can't do it this way. We have right. to be better prepared. Could uh, you sort of elaborate on maybe those drastic changes that you perhaps foresee or, you know, what could they be as a result of this? Well, let's go back for a moment. Uh, this is not new. We should not be surprised. Uh, for the last 10 to 15 years, scientists have stated that number one, we're going to be dealing with superbugs because of our overuse of antibiotics. We've, they've built up a resist, resistant 
Uh, we've also stated they knew that, hey, we're going to have viruses that's going to be turned into pandemics and it's going to sweep our entire globe. Yet we just started engaging in a conversation of mobile learning for our children. That's unimaginable. Mm -hmm. The system should have already been placed. We're starting now to engage in how do we get um, personal protective equipment for our healthcare employees. Why don't we have those warehouses already on hold? Why don't we already have telemedicine in all of our hospitals? If we're stating that we don't want to uh, oversaturate the emergency room, then we should have had an already system built out of telemedicine where people don't have to go into the emergency room for pre-screening. They can get basic information, feel comfortable that their anxieties are lower a level. And so those are some different areas. But now let's go into what's the next tsunami that's about to hit us. I encourage all of your listeners mm -hmm. uh, to download a documentary that was put together by um, Frontline called The Age of AI. The Age of AI. Uh, the Oxford University and other experts in this area, they're telling us that in the next 20 years, not 100 years, but in the next 20 years, we're going to lose 47% of the jobs we're training young people for right now. Can you imagine what that means for cities? And we're not only talking about truck drivers and autonomous vehicles and factory employees. No. Go back in the 90s. We had 5,000 employees on the stockroom trading floor during the 90s. Now we're down to 500. Automation has taken those jobs away. There's an insurance company called Lemonade Insurance. They don't use insurance brokers. They use machine learning to decide who's going to get the insurance uh, policy or not. All these jobs that we're training children for, by the time they come of age to be employed, they're not going to be there. We're setting our people up for the future, and no leaders on the national level, state level, and city levels are engaging in this real conversation. So, DT, I wanted to ask you, you know, with that said, because you're just always thinking about the future, but when you look at this coronavirus pandemic, right, and you look at how the, the country has handled it and the city has handled it, what do you think about the way it's been handled? And is there anything you would do better if you were in the position to, you know, handle it, make things better? Yeah, there's a couple of points, and, I, and I'm not trying to play... A Monday morning quarterback, because we know when you're in the midst of a crisis, it's difficult. I take my hat off to uh, the governor and the mayor. They woke up with this. Who would have known two weeks ago uh, we, were, we were dealing with different things? We were talking about uh, the, the final four. Uh, so in reality, real leaders uh, emerge during these difficult times. And so I take my hat off to the response that people are doing. But there's some clear things we can do uh, that would change this di dynamic. A lot of the uh, anxiety is due to the lack of clarity. And so we need to be very clear and specific on what we need from people, from citizens, and how we how we disseminated ongoing information. One of the number one things we could do, I was at Brooklyn Hospital where we rolled out a command center dealing with uh, telemedicine. Telemedicine is a powerful tool, and it's not this fancy term. It's just picking up your phone and using a Facebook Live to speak with your doctor. If we can stop the overuse of our emergency rooms, we can really manage some of this. Second is the testing. Let me tell you what's happening now. You get a person that comes in and you believe they have a coronavirus. 
they have to sit in a hospital room by themselves until they have been either cleared from not having coronavirus or determined they do have coronavirus. Once that determined, is determined, then they will go into a room where they can share a room with another person with coronavirus, or they can go and share a room with another person that doesn't have coronavirus. But in the meantime, that person is occupying a hospital bed by himself, and that's creating a crisis. And the reason many of our hospitals must wait four to five days before they can get a test result from the clinics. We need to stop that. We need to have a quick turnaround. If Roach a Company, they produce a machine that can give hospitals two-hour turnarounds. The federal government must get those machines produced, must get them in our hospital facilities so that we can start identifying people who are carrying coronavirus so we can bring down uh, the levels. A, a second things that we can do in a, in a very real way is to create a real uh, avenue and pipeline to our healthcare officials. Doc, I, I had all my doctors on the, on the phone, the presidents of my hospital. They said, Eric, there are two ways we're going to collapse our healthcare system. One is if we close schools without childcare for healthcare professionals. They said we will collapse right. our healthcare system. And we were able to resolve that. 1199 did an amazing job with UFT. They came together and we were able to resolve that. They said, Eric, the second is that if you don't have personal protection equipment for healthcare employees, my hospitals are calling me and they're saying, Eric, we are running out of personal protection equipment. Our nurses, our doctors, our orderlies, they're saying they're not coming in if they can't protect themselves. If that happens, this crisis is now going to get on steroids and we're going to have a major problem. So we have to get those face masks, those gowns, uh, all of those items that those healthcare professionals need. We must get it to them so they'll be able to handle the sick. Because if we lose a nurse, you can't just get a shoe shine guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. We have to give them whatever they need to stay on the job because they're on the front line, and that's important. We need to make sure our school service, uh, our cafeteria employees, they're serving, they have 500 locations in the city that they're serving meals three, three, three times a day, grab and go. They don't have masks. They don't have personal protective equipment. Hmm. They can expose others. We need to make sure they have it. Our police officers need to have it. Our frontline responders must have the equipment so they are protected so they can continue to do their job. And I think those are the areas we have to go to to make sure that we can continue the city to run. Our transportation people, our bus drivers, train operators. You know, how do we keep the city running while others are uh, sheltering in place? We still have to make sure that if somebody calls and say they have a gas leak, that we, we can't say, but well, we're going to wait until this virus is over before we go to right. that. There are things that must be done. Those frontline people must get the services they need. No, all absolutely all great points. I, BP, I want to bring up something. I was in a park yesterday. I told Brian yeah. about this. And I, I was doing yeah. I was in, I was Sunset Park, which I know you've, you're familiar with. I was in Sunset Park yesterday. Not because I, was, I wanted to be there. I had to be there for work, right? So I'm there. And I noticed people were practicing social distancing, but... I saw people playing basketball, soccer, and I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this right now? I, I know that you've been encouraging the residents of Brooklyn. You'd encourage people throughout New York City and throughout the country 
you should be staying safe. Am I wrong in saying basketball or soccer is a thing that you should probably not be doing right now? <laughs> no, I, you, you said it. You said it best and clear. And, and you're right. Uh, people have people really have not completely comprehended where we're at. And I know it's sort of difficult because we we live in a country for the most part that has been stable. You know, um, outside of 9-11, we don't have attacks on our shores. Uh, we don't know what it is to hear bombs, sirens. Uh, we're, we're, we're used to our freedom. China can shut down the whole country and no one is going to argue. We take a lot of pride in saying, you know what, you're not going to tell me what to do. That is the country <laughs> living. And so we're actually being penalized because we live in such a free society. But we need to really now understand what this means. This means is that, yes, you may be strong enough to play basketball, get coronavirus, and cycle out. But what about your grandmother? What about your mother? What about the person in your house that has asthma or that's diabetic or has a pre-existing respiratory condition? And so people need to understand that, yes, you may be able to survive and just get a, a, a serious uh, reaction um, that is really dramatic in itself, but other people can lose their lives. And so I think it's important that, number one, the our law enforcement officials must do a soft touch. We're not talking about harassing and arresting, but a soft touch of telling people there is a stay-in-place order. recreation because it's therapeutic but you have to engage in it when you're doing your social distance you should be jogging alone you should be uh, doing your speed walking alone you can shoot hoops by yourself so the goal is if you want to stay engaged and healthy and, and relieve the stress there's a way to do it that people are safe and one-on-one -on -one basketball checking each other uh <laughs> is not a safe way to do it when did the seriousness of uh, the virus first hit you? Like, when did it first register to you uh, as it was coming about? Like, yo, this could be something that really shakes the city and obviously beyond that, the world. That's, that's a great question. Uh, for some time, you know, I'm in this health space after uh, reversing my diabetes uh, by using uh, medicine and food. And it put me into this place of really started looking at, I said, wait a minute. If diabetes was able to, um, you know, reverse my blindness, reverse my nerve damage, reverse um, all my medical conditions, I started to say, well, let me examine what is going on here. And as I started reading and reading and started listening to with some of these um, medical and health professionals doing a few TED Talks and listening, I said, wait a minute, we got an issue about to happen. And so two weeks ago, when this got on the radar here in the, in the city, uh, about uh, three weeks ago when I heard in China... I started looking again and doing some more research that I took notes of. And I said, this is what they've been talking about. We, we're about to get hit with something here. Mm. And then when we got our first case here, I, I started to say it's going across the globe. And then we saw the increase. Our numbers are increasing at such a fast rate. You know, we are moving at a, an extremely large rate, the number of deaths uh, and the analysis of this that I knew last week, particularly after speaking to my uh, doctors, the presidents of, or two weeks ago after speaking to the presidents of my hospital, that they said, Eric, this is a, we had a, we had a real crisis right now. Now, 9-11 happened, 
we got hit in the gut. 9-12, we were able to get up and start rebuilding. We went from the strike to the rebuilding mode, the investigation mode, etc. This is a different baby. This is not a two-week issue. Mm. We're looking potentially to peak in June. And this can go all the way to August. So this is not a shutdown. Okay, for two weeks, we're just going to shut down and then we're going to bounce back. No, no. Our hotels are closing. We're, we're laying off hundreds of thousands of employees. Our restaurants are closing. Our churches that were already dealing with crises, uh, they're closing. They may have to close down. We're looking at uh, all of these employees that are going to be hit. Our teachers, you know, our entire school system is, is under attack. So we need to understand, going back to your question about taking this lightly, this is not a light in issue. This is a real issue that many of us have mm -hmm. never experienced before. Never. And part of the people you see in the park have lived in an invincible generation that feels nothing can harm them or impact them. So we can go to Miami for uh, for spring break. We could just hang out in the park. We're dealing with a body of young people who have never had to endure uh, the Great Depression, never had to endure the attack of Pearl Harbor, and some of them never even endured uh, the attack of 9-11. So nice. many, many of our young people, this is something that they cannot even comprehend, and that's why we need sports figures uh, like the... Uh, LeBron James, the Steph Currys, we need the Jay-Zs, the Beyonce's. They need to be part of the narrative to say to the young people, hey, this is real that we're dealing with, and our hip-hop culture needs to be a part of this, because they don't want to hear from Eric. VP, <laughs> you, <know what> <laughs> <laughs> you, say, you say you're too old for anybody to listen to you? I don't think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> why do you why do you feel like that's the connecting point though like it always seems to be athletes entertainers and just people of that ilk why do you always why do you feel like that's always sort of the connecting point to people who are i guess in this case millennial or generation z no that, and that's not the only i mean there's some great influences out there those are some folks that on the top of my head but there's some great influences um you know when you look at uh, the uh, social media, you know, some of the folks who are having uh, 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 talks, Twitter feeds, you know, doing analysis. We should spend time of doing an analysis of everyone that has uh, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 100,000, uh, a million uh, listeners. They can play a major role of engaging in it. That's why we're doing these podcasts. You guys have a strong listenership, and we're saying, let's use our podcast because you are influencers. People listen to what you're saying. Right. And if you engage in these real conversations, so it doesn't have to be the ball player, uh, the tennis player, but they too have a body of people who join them. I mean, if any, you know, Beyonce, she has she has a, a Beyonce following. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when she went plant based, a whole lot of folks started doing plant based. You know, so the reality is that our pop stars, our athletes, uh, our entertainers. They have a segment of people that they can influence, and there's another group of influencers that are coming up on social media. I think we need to better use them. We have not caught up on how to better use these influencers. Right. Now, now BP, uh, you know, you, you talk to a lot of people across Brooklyn. You have your ear to the streets, as we like to say. Um, what are you hearing from people 
about mm. what the real concerns are about this. Because when I speak to people, a lot of concerns is, hey, what happens if job we're losing jobs? You kind of touched on some of this before, right? Like, what? How, how does this affect the economy and trickle down to to us? What are you hearing from people that I know reach out to your office and say what their concerns are? What are you hearing about that? Don't you, man? Listen, man, people are scared shitless, man. You mm. know what I'm saying? Mm. People are really scared. And we get a we on average we get about a hundred calls a day on different problems. Because one thing that you said that's so important, the appearance of coronavirus didn't disappear the crises that people were facing already. Mm. People were already catching hell, and so now just because we got coronavirus, we're not all of a sudden, you know, forgetting about the crises that people were facing now. We, we put out a call to uh, end evictions during this period of time for, I believe, 90 days, you know, uh, to so folks are not going to be thrown out of their homes. Uh, we, we're dealing with uh, not to, to freeze mortgages on, you know, small units. We think it should go to everyone at the time the, gov- the federal government needs to stand in. So we're doing things to try to hold back some of the crises that people were dealing with. But folks, were, folks are still dealing with some crises. Yeah. And so take this additional crisis and drop it on folks. Uh, it's a real issue. We have folks, we have households where people are experiencing domestic violence. Yeah. And now yeah. you're saying you have to stay in a household together for the next four or five months. That domestic mm. violence is not going to disappear just because coronavirus. We have young people who are in homeless shelters. They don't have Wi-Fi connection to get the mobile learning that the school is dealing with. Mm. Uh, we got to address that. And so people are saying, Eric, in addition uh, to this coronavirus, and that is some of the response that you're seeing. You know, I remember on September 11th, after the Trade Center was attacked, I remember when I got off, we were doing uh, 12-hour tours as a cop. And I remember when I got off, I said, let me go into, you know, the hood um, over on uh, Mother Gaston and just see how folks are doing and just talk to some of the young people in the street. Cats were just playing ball in the park, man. I said, y'all didn't hear what happened at the at the trade center? They said, Eric, we were catching hell when those cent- when those buildings were up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So folks are saying to themselves, man, we were already catching hell before coronavirus came. <laughs> right. And that's why, you know, when you have been desensitized to trauma, it is hard for you to even identify what emergency is. You 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 desensitize. Are you so are you concerned, you, BP? Because you brought up something there about the folks that are desensitized to trauma. My concern around this sometimes is that when we talk about everything in this, that sometimes those folks are the ones that are going to get forgotten. Are, are you concerned about that as well, too? Because that's a big concern for me. I love that question. And, 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 and let's break down what you just said. It's such a powerful question that you just asked. The there's a, there was a call put across the city and country that if you could telecommute, telecommute and stay home. Who telecommutes? Right, right. <laughs> you know, correction officers that are 80% black and Hispanic can't telecommute. Mm. Uh, uh, bus drivers and, 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 and train operators, predominantly black and Hispanic, they can't telecommute. You know, telecommute, the mayor said that 10% of the 350,000 plus city employee staff are non-essential and they could telecommute. Those mm. are managers. Right. Those are not hourly employees. You know, they're still on the train. They're not staying home with their family. And so 
when we when we use these terms, we got to dig into those terms because telecommuting is not Miss Maria who is cleaning someone's house. Mm. You know, she can't do that from her internet or from her computer. She may not even have Wi-Fi. You know, it's it's, it's not a, a John uh, who is the doing the janitorial tutorial service. So you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, right. Those people are being forgotten. That's why I want to do an analysis of how we tested the entire borough and the entire state. Because when I talked to the president of Downstate Hospital, he says, Eric, when we were told by CDC that after a person is showing serious advanced uh, uh, stages of a flu-like symptoms and what appears to be coronavirus, you test them to determine it's not the flu or other things. And then you request from the Department of Health to request the test to test them for coronavirus. So the only way back then you could get a test for coronavirus is after you go over those two hurdles. He said for every 10 people we sent to the Department of Health in the downstate, central Brooklyn, black and Hispanic, mm -hmm. he said for every 10, we got one approval, nine disapprovals. Hmm. So maybe numbers are low in Brownsville, Crown Heights, uh, South Jamaica. Maybe they're low is because we're not testing these areas. Hmm. So we're not testing these areas. We're not identifying the real emergency in the cluster, and we're not bringing the right supplies to the, those, those areas. I think we're creating two different cities, those who are getting the resources they need hmm. and those who are not. And so if I can telecommute, because I'm a manager, and I'm getting paid more than everyone else. Mm. I can tell the commute. I'm home with my child, with my family. I'm providing for them. But that other family member who couldn't afford childcare in the first place, who is on the train with everyone else, who's going to and from their job, we're creating two cities. No, one city. Those who are paid more, give more, and do more. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash A-H-T-T. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Governor Cuomo spoke this morning and he basically, you know, laid out the, the coronavirus update for New York and basically said that New York has over 10,000 cases, well over 10,000. It's probably going to, you know, keep increasing by a lot at this rate. And he also noted that 54 percent of those cases were of people between the ages of 18 and 49. And I sort of have a theory that one of the worst things that could have happened was immediately people just came out and said, oh, this doesn't really affect young people like that. So then that forced them to not take it that seriously to that you sort of say what and how this can perhaps change over time. Well said, that's a great question. The na narratives are so important. And now folks are trying to pull that back because some of the uh, medical uh, experts are showing how there's the long-term effect that it has on young people. They, they may not be dying from it 
at the rate of those with pre-existing conditions, those who are dealing with health disorders. But the fact is, from some of the stuff I'm reading from medical profession professionals, is that it's having an impact on their breathing capacity. It could have an impact on their lungs. And so now we have to change that narrative and say, wait a minute, pull back that, listen, this is an old person's disease. It is not. And you're right. They started out with that conversation. And so, you know, young people, my son at 24, others at 18, 19, 17, they heard that. And you know and I know, people are not drilling into the body of the story. They're only reading the headlines. Mm-hmm. And the headlines are saying that, you know, this has a more major impact on the elder population. And people digest that and they registered it. And you're right. We, we need to now change that dialogue. And going back, we need to change that dialogue on sites that young people listen to, sites like yours, uh, sites like uh, Charlemagne on on um, the radio station, uh, right. all of these stations that are talking about the culture and people are responding to the culture, they got to engage in that conversation and say, listen, folks, this is hitting you just as well. You had a, you had a call to action this morning, uh, VP, on Twitter. I saw you talking about some stuff about that would affect independent workers. Brian and I have talked about it a lot. I used to work as a freelancer for a long time. Brian has done that for quite some time. I was speaking with another fellow freelancer who's a journalist last night, and he was saying, like, look, I'm concerned. How will we protect it? How will we help in this situation? Could you talk a little about the call of action and what you said talking about independent workers? Because I thought that was really important. Yes, it's so important. A lot of people are independent now. Now, a lot of people are doing their own thing. They're not trying to get caught on a nine to five. You know, they're doing their own thing. But helping, one way to traumatize and cripple a person, person who has their own business is health care. Hmm. You get hit with a health care crisis, uh, you're knocked out, man. You're off your feet. And yeah. so what they have devised with uh, some of the Uber, Lyft, and some of the car services, they created a plan uh, where they can get the insurance that they need, and they're using telemedicine. <laughs> you know, right. they're able to talk to a doctor, uh, you know, right over uh, their personal uh, mobile device or their iPad. And we believe we need to extend that uh, into the independent employees, those independent workers. We have to think not outside the box. We have to start destroying the box to deal with this unique population of people. And so we're hoping that the city could and state would embrace what we're doing. We're going to be rolling out some more things uh, that we think are important uh, in this area. It's, It's now time to be creative in how we go about uh, handling these various industries. Yeah, abs- a- absolutely. You talked about how long this might be. You said, we t- officials have said, this might peak, you said June, July, we're talking right. about going in, in, in into August. I know you're very confident in resiliency of the city, resiliency of Brooklyn. Uh, how do you feel we we come through this? Um, and, and it seems like unity and information is the best way we can stay together th- through this, right, BP? Well, well said. I could not have stated it better um, you know, it's frightening, it's intimidating, and I think there are things that the government can do, and then there are things that we can do. Uh, we did a 20-minute meditation uh, video to show people how to meditate. This is a time to recenter yourself. Hmm. You know, we, we have really been disaligned. Uh, we have to become personal chiropractors and recenter the spines of our spiritual existence. And meditation is a way of doing it. I do transcendental meditation every day, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night. I'm encouraging people 
uh, to find their spiritual out uh, outlet. Uh, we need to uh, find creative ways. I saw an article in the paper where a young lady made a small roller skating uh, space in her, her home. Uh, we need to re-engage ourselves with our families, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. And just find time to talk, man. I heard the governor state that he had a conversation with his daughter who was self-quarantined. He said it was one of the most uh, deep conversations he's ever had with her in years. Mm. You know, how often are we just walking past each other, you know, not mm. engaging each other and talking? So out of this tragedy is opportunity. And so because this is a marathon and not a 50-yard dash, we need to build in some clear ways of how we're going to be ready for these next few months. Uh, we need to, you have a backyard, start growing some stuff. You know mm. what I'm saying? Folks from the Caribbean, um, from Puerto Rico, DR, uh, Guatemala, uh, the South, we know how to grow stuff. That's Let's right, we do. That's yeah. right, we do. <laughs> we, we actually do in our backyard. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I did a video the other day on building your strengthening your immune system mm -hmm. there are foods we can eat you know uh, red bell peppers uh, broccoli uh, kale spinach uh, uh, there's a there's a, a spice called omna it's in east indian stores this has one of the highest antioxidants you can get so part of the our, our body being receptive to diseases and viruses and other issues is because our immune system is bombarded and it's destroyed. And so here's an opportunity to do something on your own. Let's not just wait for government and medicine to help us. We can do things on our own to start building our immune system, building our spirits, uh, allowing us to deal with these crises, and we can come out the other side. We need to see ourselves past this. Right. Hmm. We can't see ourselves only in this. We have to say to ourselves, we're going to get through it and we can get through it together. If you take the I out of illness and put the we, we have wellness. Mm -hmm. And I got Malcolm X. Let's be well together. I like mm. that. I like that. That's um, you put positive. out, you put out, a, yeah, definitely. You put out a press release yesterday, uh, the moratorium basically calling for the city and state to implement a moratorium on rent, utility payments for New York City residents uh, that would last at least 90 days. Could you just speak to the importance of essentially putting everything on hold, you know, as the city tries to get through this over the coming weeks and months? Yes, no, so, so good. Because we need to sacrifice together. So this is what we're calling for. And we want the uh, state to also expand. We're, we want to say to landlords, Right now, there's been a freeze on a one in two families and maybe even three on mortgage payments. We're saying those of you who have a freeze on your mortgage payments, utility companies also give those landlords a freeze on their utility bills, their gas and their light bills at the same time. So we have landlords, a one, two, and three. You have a freeze on your mortgage and you have a freeze, we, we want you to get a freeze on your utilities. Now mm -hmm. you pass it on to your renters. Hey, no, do a freeze on your rental payments mm -hmm. so that we can get through this. But we also want the federal and state government not only to tell the mortgage companies to freeze those one, two, and threes, but freeze all of them. So this way we can have all of these renters at ease. If I have a 90 day at ease, not being stressed out, if I'm laid off, least I know right now with freezing of uh, these payments, instead of having people worry about, 
you know, I just lost my job. I'm just having issues. And that creates the trauma and crises. And so right now, they're only doing certain of landlords for the mortgages. We say expand it to all so that we can stop the, put a freeze for 90 days on the rent payments. That would take a hurdle off all of us. But also, let's take the utilities as well. So we all take a smaller hit instead of a major hit. And that's how we're going to navigate this. Yeah, no, no, absolutely needed. Renters needed too. Uh, we we got we to ask you, you've done a lot of great work in Brooklyn, uh, Mayor what I'm not saying mayor. I'm I'm kind of foreshadowing there. Where where I see you next, where I think you might be going. <laughs> right. Um, is, is that is that the next step for you, uh, BP? Uh, I, I I felt like it should be. I'm 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 putting it out there. Is that is that the next step for you? We're trying to get you in Gracie Mansion. We we are. That's our desire. Our desire. We're we're looking at it. We, we want to build up the base of support uh, to do so, and it really falls in line with what. I believe, you know, I, I started my public safety service uh, years ago. I was fortunate to come into the police department. I was a comp- computer programmer. A lot of people didn't know that. Mm. But uh, mm. yes, I was one of the uh, original uh, uh, team, the team members that wrote what was called an, uh, an OLTPS system. I was in the transit police. It was a system used uh, to start using computers to more modernize how we I looked at police, a gentleman named Jack Maple put in place. Jack later uh, went into the police department and created CompStat. It was the, really the first version of real-time crime fighting. And I saw from that, uh, we, were in a, we were in a different city, 2,000 homicides, 98,000 robberies, almost an equal amount of felonious assault. People were riding around with no radio signs on their cars. They had Benzy boxes, and we just surrendered to crime. We were able to make the city safe. And that was a pivotal moment because I saw that by using technology effectively, you can govern city a city in real time. And you don't wait and have annual responses to problems. All across America, big cities, they do this. One agency create a crisis. Another agency responds to the crisis that was created. But if we move to real-time managing cities, then your tax dollars would go to correcting problems. You know, my, my, my idol, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, stated, and I paraphrase it, he said, we spent a lifetime pulling people out of the river. No one goes upstream to find out why they fell in, in the first place. Mm. We, 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 the Department of Education feeds our, uh, our criminal justice crisis. 80% of the men and women that enters Rikers don't, a high, don't have a high school diploma or equivalency diploma. A third of the 18-year-olds read below a fifth grade reading level. Uh, 55% of they have a learning disability. And when you look at, listen to this number, 30 to 40% are dyslexic. If you, if you gave young people the skills they needed in the beginning, upstream, we won't be pulling them out of the Rikers Island. So it's not about closing the building. We need to close pipelines. And you can look at NYCHA, the dysfunctionality of NYCHA. You can look at the dysfunctionality of homelessness. All of these issues, we're feeding the crises that causes the crises in the first place. And that's what we need to do in the 21st century. If we had a real-time city right now, we won't be figuring out where we're going to get hospital masks. We won't be figuring out our children prepare to do mobile learning. 
We won't be figuring out um, where Wi-Fi is. We should have already GIS mapped out our city to know where Wi-Fi, how we build it out, where we need to be. That's where the city needs to go if we're going to be prepared for the computer uh, 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 machine learning and to be well training people to fill the new jobs that are going to be available. That's why we need CTE schools in every borough to expand them so young people can learn how to fill some of these jobs. We need to do away with having that blank period two months every year that our children are home. We need to make sure they're getting more education. That's an agrarian calendar when folks need to go into the farm mm -hmm. and Nobody's picking corn anymore. Yeah, see, but see, that's but see, I like everything that you're saying there, VP, because we need more forward thinking in politics, right? We need people who are looking ahead at things. And it sounds to me that ask if that's going to be a big part of your platform, not to put words in your mouth, I think that can be really good. We need more forward thinking. I think that's something younger people are looking towards in terms of politics. They don't hear that enough. How does this help me for the future? How does this benefit my kids, my kids after that? You know, we talk a lot about that around stuff in politics, but we don't see actual plans put together for that. And I think that disappoints a lot of people in politics. But, uh, you know, if you're making that run in 2020, you know, you know you got my support already. You know you got that, so... The Sports Walk is back. Watch season three of Backpack Broadcasting's original web series that brings you the opinions of real sports fans. The first two seasons and current season are available now for viewing on the Sports Walk YouTube channel and Facebook page. Check out the 2017 NYC WebFest official selection and see what other sports fans have to say on the hottest issues in sports today. It's easy. Just take the Sports Walk. All right, BP, so we, we also, we talk a lot of sports and hip-hop on this podcast. We know you grew up in Brooklyn, uh, from Brownsville, East Brooklyn. Um, who were your teams growing up? Who did you root for? Are, are you a New York sports fan through and through? I don't know this about you, so this is my first time asking. So, yeah, t let me know. I was, you know. It's interesting. Whoever likes the Mets normally likes the Jets. <laughs> you know? look, I got, look, I got this here. I got my little Mets bear. I got a Jets bear here too. These are my daughters now. So I'm a Mets. I'm a suffering Mets and Jets. Yo, I can't fan. wait to screenshot that later. <laughs> That's gonna be one of the photos I use to promote this. <laughs> it, you know, it's it must it must line up that way. So you know, I was a Mets guy and a Jets guy, and of course, I liked the Knicks, Knicks as well. And those were some good years at the Garden. You know, uh, with Willis Reed, just the heart and soul of those players, man. And I just enjoy sports a lot. I played it all as a child, you know, a, a little basketball, baseball, football. Uh, I played um, for JV for Bayside High School until I discovered girls and it was a rap, man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> then he was like, forget about, forget about this varsity thing. We're not doing that. <laughs> That's why I went to a small private school. <laughs> exactly why. <laughs> now, I, 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 yeah, I didn't even I didn't know you had, had went to Bayside. You talked to you just brought up the Knicks and you brought up the you call it the golden era of the Knicks. Uh, yes. And when those teams played so well, how disappointed are you with where this team is right now? You know, I think Dolan just needs to give up the squad. Man. Yes. You know, <laughs> he needs to he needs to give it up and just sell the team. 
New York, New York needs a good team. And there's just so much talent out there. And we need to just build from the start and just, you know, really get a good team back at the Garden. Because the NBA does well when you have those exciting teams in New York. And really, we haven't had a good team since the day of uh, Patrick yeah. and of Oakley and so you, you had 2012-2013 the 54 win team one year they didn't have one <laughs> right. they didn't have that team that team was a lot of fun they were yeah. kind of ahead of their time but other now, than that that's the Nets here in Brooklyn is mm-hmm. is there's some great opportunities there's some good players the name of the game is to, is, is to stay healthy if they're able to do so next year I think we're going to have a good a good squad good teams playing let me ask you this, since you brought up the Nets, and, and, and we're both Brooklynites. No, no, no. I'm just Uh-oh. I'm, I'm, no, I'm actually wanting to ask the BP <laughs> this. You watch, you watch the Barclays Center come up and everything that's come up around it. I get the, Anytime I drive past through Flatbush and Atlantic, for people listening to this and watching it don't know, I still I think back, and do you remember what it was like before there when there was nothing? Really? Does it ever kind of blow your mind to think about that? It does, man. It's unbelievable. There was a couple of... Uh, local eateries over in that area, you know, the Fashion Cafe, that whole area was different. Man. People don't know that area, don't realize how drastic the change mm. uh, actually is. And believe it or not, it's going to change even substantially more because that whole train yard is housing. Yep. There are two buildings that's going to come up across the street at PC Riches. There's a request to even do a hotel over there. So wow. the, the Brooklyn we knew it's not the Brooklyn we're going to get to know. Yeah, man. It, 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 how, it, it's crazy. How because because me and Dexter have talked about this. He's still he's still a Jet fan today. I want to know, <laughs> and I I gave it up in like 2015. I was done. Uh how have you been able to hold on to it <laughs> throughout all these years, despite despite everything, really? You know, I you know, I think just sometimes, you know, folks are it it because you know, you you love your team not only because of who they are, but I think it's because of the relationships. You know, uh, uh, some great time I built with my dad, uh, who's no longer with us, but, mm-hmm. you know, sitting down watching the game with him, uh, the friendship throughout the years. You know, a lot of times we don't realize what we do has more to do with not the immediate action or the direct actions, but what's built around those actions. You mm-hmm. know, we used to hang out and watch the Jets game with some friends right. and just have a good time. And, you know, sitting there on Sundays with Dad talking about, you know, some of the players, uh, 69, when when Joe Namath was playing. I can remember like it was yesterday, my dad, you know, talking about the game. So that's the connection. So if I abandon the team, I'm also abandoning those relationships. And it's sort of difficult to do. I'm, I'm all in. I think with, 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 the, with Brady uh, on his way out, uh, going, I, I think he's going to Tampa Bay. Yeah, Tampa I'm not Bay. Sure. Yeah, Tampa Bay. Yeah. Well, Belichick is still there. Belichick is still in the division. That's the guy you got to worry about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think they can kick themselves for Brady being so selfish to get rid of a great backup quarterback that could have taken the taken the team New England to another dynasty. 
you know, but Brady clearly pushed him out, and now Brady's being pushed out on the same. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not shedding any tears for them, VP. Did you give up? <laughs> yeah, did you give up your? Did you give up your Knicks fandom because you, you know, you're, you're a Brooklyn Borough president. So you kind of have to rep for the Nets. I understand <laughs> that you have to. I know that you have to. So I, no judgment here. They did, need all the fans. Yeah. yeah. Did, did you give up your Knicks fandom, or, or are you like all in I on Brooklyn? Back, I go back and forth. Okay. But you know the garden of the. The Barclays Center is such a great place to catch a game. Yeah. You know, not it's not you know too large or small. It's intimate. You know, you just really you know good seats that so you can see the game anywhere. The action. So I, I enjoy going to Barclays a lot, where the garden is just sometimes so you know too impersonal. But the 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 Barclays is just a good atmosphere. Love it. Nah, that, it it definitely is. All right, we gotta ask you about some hip hop because you, uh, you you obviously you you grew up. I mean, through and saw the kind of the birth of hip hop. And I've recently been taking some time. And Brian and I both been watching Hip Hop Evolution on Netflix. Really good series. People should check that really out good, if yeah. they can. Um, Have you finished it? Have you finished? No, it I haven't finished it yet. No, haven't finished Man, it yet. You gotta finish this so I could talk to you more about it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's on my watch list. Yeah, you gotta watch it. You gotta watch it. And um, it's not long you, either. It's not yeah, like it's four seasons, okay. but it's four episodes a season. So it's like you could get through it pretty quickly. Yeah, BP. What what do you what do you remember about seeing in New York City the the birth of hip hop? What do you remember about that and that time and being around it and that? What 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 are your memories of that? That's a great question. I'll never forget being in Bayside High School. And one day, when we used to do this music in the park, DJ Flowers and others. And I remember one day, it's so funny you asked that, because I was just thinking this the other day. Um, the principal, we had an assembly. And a young man, his name was Curtis, got mm. on the mic huh. after, before the principal came in. And he started rapping. And everybody was like, what the hell is that? That sounds so cool. We never huh. even heard it before. He started rapping. Then after that came out a series of groups after where, you know, folks started rapping and the then the KRS-One came and others. And it was like this evolution of this new sound. Now, you could listen to TV shows now and you'll hear uh, hip hop or rapping. That was unheard of. Yeah. <laughs> and so... You really have to you really have to take your hat off to those early uh, pioneers and what they did is almost equivalent to uh, the uh, the felonious monk, the John Coltrane, the yes. Miles Davis. Those cats were not able to play in major venues, and attempts were made to outlaw jazz. That is the same pathway hip hop uh, actually evolved into, and so those early pioneers, man, you got to take your hat off to them dropping the sound, those folks up in the Bronx who started out, look at some of the old, uh, the, you know, the old music. We went to a location in the Bronx um, where a young lady has a, a, what is it, Boogie Down, Boogie Down Cafe. A Boogie Down Cafe, yeah, I've actually been there. Yeah, 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 it's great. Yeah, I love that space, man. Yeah. Look at the albums on the wall, the yep. album covers. Yep. It was just the creativity. And these cats didn't have any money. Yep. You know, but their 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 genius and lyrics and their ability to catch the moment has really changed the game. And you got to take their hat off. And they had a serious message in their music. You yes. know, you listen to "Fight the Power." If you really listen to the lyrics of "Fight the Power," that's a powerful song. KRS-One, some of KRS-One stuff. 
back then was was deep, and you know. So I always remember listening to the music and get motivated and energized uh, uh, through the music and the power of the music. Is a lot of that still mostly what you listen to today? Yes, particularly when I my listen. Let me tell you something. I, I love music, and you know right. my my staff. They because I have a little gym in my office, and my staff will run walk by, and they said, "Is he playing goddamn Beethoven?" <laughs> you know? Really? I, I'll exercise to Beethoven, nice. and the next would be uh, Beyonce. The next song would be uh, you know um, East Coast rap or. Atlantic rap. One of my favorite songs that I like, I can't say on the air because they'll censor me. But, you know, but I love the mixture of music because music speaks to us. A lot of people don't realize, you know, like I do a lot of studying on what sounds, uh, what sounds will do to you internally. Mm. Our body feeds off the sounds and the sound waves can actually, it's healing. You have some uh, cultures that use sounds to heal. Yep. And, you know, we don't get into, there's a reason you like a certain sound. There's a reason you like a certain beat because it speaks to you. And so I listen to different music, uh, but one of the things that I listen to to keep myself motivated before I'm doing a speech, I, I listen to some hip hop. Before I'm getting ready, when I wake up in the morning after my meditation, I listen to some hip hop. So it's about, hip hop plays a major role you know, folks think it's only for my 24-year-old, but no, man, it's <laughs> a theater. Before you take that stage, you want to get yourself ready for what you're about to endure. For now, sure. Now, you you have a 24-year-old son. Is he giving you any hip-hop music from today to listen to? And like, How, how does that go over if, if you guys are doing that? Is he sharing any new music with you? Yeah, and you know, and you know, he's like every other twenty-four year old. He thinks he's uh, he's Jay Z, you know. So <laughs> he's still he's still writing, and uh, he went to American University for a communication degree. Smart young man, and he's 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 in a space where he's trying to do his own music. And I said, you know what? All that's beautiful, but you got to be able to pay your rent. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. that. So while you're doing it, you better come up. With, in the meantime, let me make sure I can hold myself down, you know. But, uh, you know, because in six years, 24 turns to 30. Real you quick. Can't, you, can't, you can't be still talking about you waiting for your big hit, you know. <laughs> but he writes music. He has a nice sound. But there's so much talent out there. You know that. Yeah. It, there's so much talent out there that never gets discovered, never gets heard. And I told him that, listen, stay grounded, produce your product. Use these streaming services that's out there, but also have a plan B. You know, because if you want to be a rapper or you want to be a writer of music, you can also be a teacher and teach music. In the meantime, because cool. you look at you look at folks like uh, some of our great artists, they'll tell you about those days in the mailroom. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you about those days being a messenger. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they'll tell you about those days that they had to grind before they got to the other side. And so I told them, as you move to the other side, you have a good degree, you have a good head on your shoulders, get in the classroom. You may find creativity teaching young people and come up with the exposure that you're looking for. The more you are out there, the more you are exposed, the more opportunities you have to the success you're looking for. When you said when you said 24 was like six years away from 30, I winced a little bit because I'm like, man, I'm 26. Like I, I just graduated school four years ago. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I went to school. And I went to school in Brooklyn. I went to St. Francis right there by Borough Hall. Right. 
right, right, yeah. right. Just a hop, skip, and a jump, right from. Yeah, from, that's from where me and Dexter met actually, because we worked together there yeah. too. After I graduated, we both worked in the athletic offices. Yeah. And I, I'm surprised, Brian. You know, uh, BP used to come to the games sometimes. I'd see him at the games sometimes there yep. at St. Francis, so he'd sometimes come to the games. And that's where I worked. Yeah, yeah. So, so man, I, 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 I look, would we might have met too. before. This close to get into the final four. I mean, get into the. Uh, you were at that game. Tournament. You were at that yep. game. I remember yep. that. I remember you being at that game. I was actually. a junior covering. Yeah, I remember it. you oh, being boy. at that game. Yeah, that I was one of the that. weirdest nights of my uh, career. Let's say. Yeah, it, it was, was weird. It was, it was a. It was a sad. It was a sad <laughs> night. I'm going out. We made a great deal with uh, um, Sanctuary for Animals. Since they're not putting their people out in the field, mm-hmm. they took their money and they went to a few vegan restaurants and gave them the business because everyone is hurting uh-huh. and those vegan restaurants made meals that we're going to serve it to people that are in heavy hit areas and dealing with the economic strife so we're on our way over there in the street to serve the meals to them uh you know with with one of my volunteer staffers that decided to come in and help so we're on the grind, man. We're on the front line, man. My message is clear that I'm not going to tell my firefighters, my teachers, uh, my transit operators, I'm not going to tell you to be on the front line and then I'm home hiding under my, my kitchen table somewhere. That's this real. Is- that's right. real. No, that's... that's a- From the front, don't send your troops into battle and tell them how was the war. I want my people to see me on the ground. They want to see me on the front. That's what being a Brooklyn Bar president is for. I signed up to be on the street during crises, and that's yeah. what we're doing right now. That's, that's right. leadership, and, and that's uh, leadership straight up. Definitely leadership straight up, and we'll we'll, we'll leave we'll leave with this uh, BP. Uh, if any words, this is a tough time for a lot of people, as we spoke about. For some people, yeah. they're really going through it. There was a lot of good information you gave us and shared with us here. Any words of hope for the people of not just Brooklyn but throughout the country? Any words of hope you'd like to leave some people with? Yeah, a powerful powerful term. Believe, believe. I I remember like yesterday. Um, on uh, September 11th, uh, going to the Trade Center. It was something I never saw in my life, of uh, the smoldering, the smoke, the ashes, uh, watching the buildings that I grew up knowing, uh, was, they were no longer there. And I remember uh, sitting down, because like, it, it was like being hit in the gut, and sitting down and saying to myself as I looked around all over that area, it was unimaginable what that view was like and what it meant. And I remember when I left there with two of my officers and said that, you know, this is this is something that I don't know if we're going to recover from. And then I started thinking about it and I said, every generation had this moment. Mm. Every generation had this moment. And courage is embedded in every generation, but every so often it skips a generation. We're not going to let this generation be the generation that it skips. We're going to show our courage, and we're going to see ourselves through this, and we can do it by just digging in deep and giving each other the compassion we need. We got this. We got this. Just as we had those other crises before. Absolutely. Beautifully said. Uh, Borough President, that's Borough President Eric Adams. He is the Brooklyn Borough President. Borough President of the greatest place in the world, as we know. (laughs) We thank you for your time. We appreciate you coming and hanging with us on this episode. We got to have you back uh, too. I would love that, man. And, don't, sure. and, and, and listen, when, when you when you get into that that next office, don't be too big time <laughs> to holler at your boy. Don't 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 be too big time. You know, you've always been great to me, you're so the, I know that. You're the first interview I'm gonna do. Yeah, I, I'm gonna hold there you. you go. I'm gonna hold you there to you that. Go. I'm gonna hold you to that. All right, that's it for episode 115 right. of the A Hearts right, Tell BK. podcast for Brooklyn Borough President Eric.
Eric Adams, Brian Fonseca. I'm Dex yep. Henry. Until next time, y'all. Peace. All right.